the people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history. And... Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Sake on Air, the world's first podcast dedicated to expanding the dialogue surrounding Japan's iconic beverages, sake and shochu. This episode is partly recorded at the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center in the heart of Tokyo and made possible with the support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association. My name is Sebastian Lemoine and I'm joined today by one of our regular hosts on the show. Hello, Justin. Hey there, Sebastian. How are you doing? I'm okay. Justin, you were on the roads quite a bit and recently on your Facebook page, I read that you were back at the Sake Brewing School despite all the years as, as, as a Korabito. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was good. I was up on Sado Island um, visiting Gakkogura. I was in Shimane for a bit, I was in Aichi for a bit, I was in Iwate for a bit. Yeah, and this is actually my first time I'm, uh, in Tokyo in a long, long time here uh, today. So yeah, it's nice to be back at the uh, Japan Sake Shochu Makers Association for a brief stint while we get this while we get this recording knocked out. And today we have a special guest as usual, and that guest doesn't need to go back to uh, sake school either because he's learned all the skills for a full uh, for a full season in Japan a few years ago. Um, I'm very happy to have Gauthier Roussil on the show. Hello, Gauthier. Hello, Sebastian. Thank you for having me. It's, it's, it's a great pleasure. I mean, we wanted to have you for a, a number of reasons. And one of the topic for our interview today is, is your book, uh, Nihon Shu Japanese Sake. And we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, on about your book or just to understand um, what it meant to for you to write it, and uh, but b- before we get to that, uh, would you just kindly introduce yourself and tell us um, about you? And I guess what our listeners would like to hear about as well is how you you got uh, interested in Japan and and in sake in particular. Um... So a few words about myself. My name is uh, Gauthier Roussy. I'm currently living in Burgundy. Um, I am French and I am an analogist. Uh, currently, I work with my wife um, at Domaine Michel. It's our small family estate uh, making uh, Burgundy white wine and distilling also. As a student, my field of study were uh, agronomy and fermentation. I am an analogist. And... Um, one of my best friends, he studied uh, Japanese and he went to Japan several times in his life. Uh, and the first time I was in Japan was to join him in uh, 2006 uh, while I was a student and he was an exchange uh, student in, uh, in Japan. This is um, where I really encountered uh, Japanese sake. Uh, we were students, so we like to drink a little more than uh, reasonably low. And in Japan, we wouldn't drink wine. We could drink uh, wine in France. Uh, I'm not a big fan of beer. So we tried uh, sake. And uh, we tried many different kinds of sake, especially in Um And 
at the end of a trip, we are not that convinced about sake. Uh, I think probably mainly because we tried cheap sake in Izakaya and that was not necessarily always amazing. And at the end of the trip, we, we say, okay, let's, let's try the most expensive sake there is in the shop just to see what this is about. Um, and actually it was uh, New Year. So we got uh, sake with uh, gold flakes in. Uh, that was, it was surprising, it was a nice experience. And when I uh, came back to France, I met um, one of the uh, first sake importer in France. Uh, who created um, Ise Workshop. Uh, it was a, a Japanese person, unfortunately he, he passed away now a few years ago. And he really drive me deeper into the sake world, organized tasting. He was importing uh, great Japanese sake, um, Soomare, Dewazakura, um, Urakasumi, a lot of good stuff. So anyway, I kept on studying winemaking and I had uh, sake on the back of my head and tasting sake from time to time and tasting and, and for myself and with uh, my friend. And then uh, 2012, I was in between job. Um, I didn't really want to go back to winemaking because I I just had you know a little time and there was no way I was about to learn a lot of things in the, in the winemaking industry in just a, in just a a small year and uh, I went to see this person and say okay I, I'd like to learn more about sake making and maybe go in Japan work with uh, with Sakagura for some time to to know more about sake um, this is a way I work I where I understand thing is I need to uh, go deep into something, understand it, in, in able to be able to enjoy it. You know, it's, it's a mindset. So there was this sake uh, tasting in Paris, uh, in the house of uh, Monsieur Depardieu, a famous actor, I'm sure you know about him. And um, I, um, I, I said that, and this person asked me, you know, what, what's the point of that? And who are you? What are you doing? And I I, I gave him my uh, my speech about uh, you know I'm an analogist I want to learn more about sake and uh, he told me okay you you did long study you have a big head uh, you should uh, go and see uh, Jun Kono because he has a big head too a smart man and uh, you should get along well so I uh, talked to Kono-san and he was kind of stunned he was very surprised like okay who's this guy. Uh, it was 2012, uh, Japanese sake was not such, uh, in, lately uh, Japanese sake is much more common uh, outside of Japan, but then it was still pretty rare to find uh, a foreigner interested in Japanese sake. So he was uh, quite surprised and wasn't sure what, was, what it was all about. So um, he asked me why I wanted to come, um, told me, you know, I, I cannot uh, employ you. And I told him, I don't know, I'm, I'm just coming. You know, I'm paying my flying ticket. You just, you don't have to pay me. I'm just uh, here as an intern. And um, uh, a few weeks after that, it was in Japan, sent me a, um, a series of questions, you know, asked me for a resume. And um, 
just like three weeks after that, I was in uh, Solomare uh, working as a curabito. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, that was quite an adventure, especially at, at that time. Um, our episode 65 was about uh, Soho Mare, and um, we interviewed John Kono at, uh, at, uh, for this particular episode, and I invite our listeners to uh, go back to episode 65 to learn more about Soho Mare, but tell us about your experience at Soho Mare. So, um, first, yeah, I listened to the episode, and uh, it's interesting. I, I mean, I was very lucky to be in Soho Mare for so many reasons, but one of those reasons is that uh, Kono-san came into France and actually uh, did one year of study in France, and he encountered French wine, and he is, he really enjoyed wine, so he's always um, intrigued, he's always want to learn something about French wine, is happy to find relation between uh, Japanese sake and French wine, so for me, it was it was a good experience. So of course, when I came into Solomare, I brought some some nice bottle of French wines that we tried together, and uh, there was always an opportunity for discussions. Um, my uh, my time in Solomare um, was yeah an amazing an amazing time. Obviously, um, again, I was lucky that Solomare still still use. Um, Kurabito, the traditional way, people that come uh, for several months, stay in the Kura, uh, work and live together as a family. And from what I've heard, other foreigners who came into Japan to have similar experience than me, uh, sometimes went into more modern Kura with employee uh, clocking in, going back to uh, their family and wife, and the experience is completely different. Um, mm -hmm. the, the Kurabito in, uh, in Soomare um, didn't speak English, but I was, uh, I was lucky. Uh, Akita-san, who is now uh, the Toji for Soomare, uh, does speak English. Uh, and there was a, a young Kurabito also who could speak English. So that really helped. Uh, as I don't speak Japanese, I went to Soomare with the best intention, but working 16, 18 hours a day doesn't give you much opportunity to uh, study after that. Uh, so I just quickly learned the few important words. Um, so if someone asks me to go and pick something, I know what I have to go and, uh, and pick for them. Um, but we had great time not talking, you know, just uh, watching sumo and drinking beer uh, at night with the guys was, was amazing. Uh, so yeah, the, the human experience, first of all, was was great uh, being with those people. And the work experience was was amazing, too. Um, I was lucky as a trained analogist and a winemaker to understand the, the basics of what was happening. You know, uh, if you if you go into Akura uh, and it's little the same, you know, you have tank, you have fermentation, you have pressing. So the big picture is the same. So I could pick up quickly what was happening. And then the detail was uh, the tricky part. Um, learning from observation and, and doing um, is actually one of the ways Japanese teach each other in this kind of hearts. So it was not new to them to have someone who 
didn't understand much and they just have to say, you do this, you do that. Um, so the integration into the team was, was smooth. Um, as a foreigner, I was asking much more questions than a Japanese person would. So that, that would be a difference. Sure you were. Uh, but actually, I quickly learned, uh, oh, this work, uh, you cannot ask a question uh, to, to uh, uh, Kuramoto or Toji, like, you know, explain to me uh, of this work that you won't have an answer. Um, you have to try and understand for yourself and come with a question that is, I, I've observed that uh, this is, the reason, I mean, I think you're doing this for this re and this reason. And they're going to tell you, yeah, not exactly, you know, look more into that direction. Uh, and once you understand something, you know, they'll give you a little more food for thought. Um, and that's amazing. It takes time, but it's amazing to uh, to learn in this way because you you have to work for yourself to understand. It's not just something that is given to you and that you're going to forget because if you work on something you you remember uh you know what it is so the the learning experience was amazing the human experience was uh was great so amazing experience from uh beginning to end <laughs> what was your favorite i mean amongst all the tasks that you you had been uh, or you that you were allocated what was the the one your favorite one the one you were looking for with to uh, every day and and maybe the opposite. What was the one that you were not really looking forward to every day? Um, that's a tough question. I, I never asked uh, that myself. Um, it could be the same, actually the same uh, task could answer both question uh, and that would probably be taking care of the Koji at night. Uh, you know, waking up every two hours and go there. Um, after a few days, you are zombie, you know, because <laughs> you, you you only sleep by one hour and you have to go back to work. So it's you are in a in a very strange state of mind. There's something you know, if you often take the plane, when you're in a plane, you have strange idea coming into your mind, and it's the same thing there. Um, you go into the Kura at night with two other workers, um, lights out, uh, you're alone, it's it's cold, but it's beautiful at the same time. It's um it's magic, it's haunting, you know. You you go under Matsuo Sama, you know, and, and you feel its presence. Uh and you're in the in the room and you smell the fresh goji. It's it's truly magic. But at the same time, you know, you when you go back to bed and you know you have to wake up two hours later, uh, it's kind of hell. Um, so that's that's probably uh, that's probably the task. And about the the time I was more excited about is when once a week we had uh, kare, so uh, curry for people who don't go into Japan to eat because there was always a little extra, and uh, I wasn't used to the Japanese diet, so I was a little. Uh, underfed <laughs> and the uh, curry I could take next troubles I was always so happy to see curry on the table <laughs> um, did you actually have the I, I mean is that during that stay at Soho Mare that you started to think about uh, writing a, a book about sake to teach others about the craft or did it come later 
So actually, um, what I did when I was in Soho Mare is I was posting on a French uh, wine forum uh, just to share my experience. I've been um, sharing tasting notes and thought on this forum for many years before that. And I just thought, you know, that's a cool experience to share with everyone. So I, I was uh, using that a little bit like a blog. And the book was not something I had in my head um, at the beginning. But when I came back to France, uh, actually, I, I came back to the same France I left, which was completely uneducated about uh, Japanese sake. And I had all this experience that I shared on this forum. It was nice, but I, I thought I don't want this knowledge to disappear, uh, even for myself, you know? Uh, because you know, if you if you don't work on something, you're gonna forget about it. So I I started to gather my notes, and when I was gathering my notes, I was always finding myself with more questions. Uh, I kept contact, obviously, with Kono-san and with Akita-san, whose uh, Toji was cashier at the time, uh, so second in command under Toji. Toji was Abe-san, who was um, now retired. He kept consulting with, uh, with Kono-san, but um, very knowledgeable uh, old Toji, but Akita-san was uh, very, very knowledgeable. So more, probably a little more into the scientific aspect of it when Abe-san was probably more trained in the old school way, like, why are you doing that? Be because we always did it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, kept on taking notes, asking questions, looking into a research paper. And at some point I had uh, a lot of information. And that's where the idea of the, of the book uh, came in, you know, just gathering all that. Um, I, I was in uh, Solomari in 2012 and the book was published in 15. So it was uh, almost three years into that. Um, and yeah, it just, um, it just happened at the end. There was a lot of work of shaping that, putting into a, um, in an approachable way, even if maybe mm. the book is not always <laughs> so approachable, but, uh, trying to, yeah, um, um, put information in order, uh, that was the, the toughest part. I mean, the, the, I mean, your book is called uh, in, in, in French Nihonshu Le Sake Japonais and in English Nihonshu Japanese Sake. I think the English translation came out uh, in 2017. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's, it's, it's quite different from uh, other books you, you can buy about, about sake. Of, of course, the topic is the same. I mean, one of the differences is that uh, beside the cover, you have no pictures. Um, and and you, you're not you're not talking about specific brands or or, or cooler, uh, so that's make that makes it different. Um, another thing is that it's really truly detailed about about processes and um, and a lot of elements of the background of sake in the background of sake production, including agriculture, the making of uh, of taru. Um, and other aspects. So um, it is quite technical, but truly 
it's, it, I don't think it's difficult to read. Um, but I'm thinking in 2015, uh, as, you, as you just said, uh, the French market didn't have a lot of education about, uh, about Japanese sake. And uh, it was probably a bit of a surprising um, uh, amount of information uh, to, to, yeah. to um, the first, this was a, an egoistic project. You know, I, I put there everything that I was interested into. Um, so yeah, it was an opportunity for me to research things I was interested into and to, um, you know, write the book I would have loved to have in my hand before I went to Japan. So that's the first thing. Uh, the question about picture is, it's a book that have been written in the in the time of internet, and you can find all the picture you want over the internet. So I didn't feel like I would uh, add anything to what was available by uh, putting picture in the book. Um, and about the kura and sake tasting, I um, I don't feel like an expert in in sake brand and sake tasting. Um, but I can bring something on the side of making. Also, I'm an outsider and I think um, some of the information in there, um, some Kuramoto, some Toji, were not necessarily eager to share that. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe some of the information, some people were not so happy to see them in the print. Um, and in- Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I never got any negative vibes about it, but uh, that, that's a question I, I have. Um, when I when I showed the book the first time to uh, uh, Kuramoto in France, they were coming for Salon du Sake. You know, we have a, a sake tasting in France uh, every year when it's not COVID year. And they were like shocked. <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> It's like a few guys told me, like, we don't have that in Japanese. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I don't know. I, was, uh, um, I just tried to do something for me. Well, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I haven't gone through the whole um, uh, list of available books about sake brewing in Japanese in particular. But yeah, I mean, there is, I find it's a very interesting positioning between textbook of sake brewing <laughs> exactly and, they are amazing textbook and the thing is i think in japan you you have uh it's like wine in france you have many many books many many experts that make book on a very specific subject you know that appeal to experts and people who are interested in this specific subject but to cover this range, not in going into the textbook thing dedicated to Toji, uh, was a different approach. Something maybe you know, a foreigner had to do it because it's a, an outside look. Um, anyway, the I think the book is interesting to anyone that wants to go deeper into understanding uh, Japanese sake making. Um, some uh, section, you don't have to read them cover to cover because if you want to read the list of a hundred different rice, you're gonna go to sleep very fast, but you can keep that on the side and, and uh, 
Uh, if you taste a sake with um, a specific strain of rice you've never heard about, you can go back into the book and check and say, okay, this is, this is what it is. The bibliography in particular is extremely, extremely long. And I guess you've spent quite a bit of time uh, reviewing some of the technical material uh, in relation with the more technical sections of the book. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, clearly, um, that's, but that's my fun, you know, uh, reading technical papers, <laughs> I like that, so it's okay for me. Uh, I have been trained as a, a scientist, so for me, it's important to give credit. Um, so I, yeah, I had to put everything there in the bibliography. I have to say, thank you, Google Translate. You know, I this book wouldn't exist without you. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, I think most of what's in the bibliography, uh, no one ever want to, to read that um, because there is book and research paper together. And, and that's something that really comes out as you read the book is you can, you can see the scientist behind the, behind the writer. And I find that quite... Uh, quite 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 interesting and, and you have you have your own it creates your own your own style as well style of writing i don't know if one day you you will use your book to become a, a sake brewer today you are a winemaker can you tell us a little bit about um about about that about your life as a winemaker uh, was it a project of yours and then of course what i, I i'd be really interested in hearing from you is uh you know both worlds, even though you spend more time in wine than in, in sake. So I'd be really interested to uh, hear from you um, your views about some of the cultural differences and similarities between the world of winemaking and sake brewing. Um, about making sake first, um, I, I won't make sake in here. Uh, you need a lot of, if you want to make good sake, you need a lot of equipment, you need the right environment. It's not a simple thing. I know a lot of people do home brewing, uh, and that's fun. But I'm I'm making wine on a professional scale, and I don't want to go back to small kettles. Uh, <laughs> uh, there is my good friend uh, Grégoire Boeuf. Uh, Les Larmes du Levant is making sake on a you know a commercial level in France, um, south of Lyon, and it's making good stuff. And you know, we're we're good friends, we're close together. Uh, I can go there, see what he's doing. Maybe one day we'll have a small project together, but maybe something fun, you know, sparkling or whatever. Um, I, I leave I leave sake making to the professional. I taste sake. I uh, I write about it. That's that's good enough for me. About um, wine making, um, as I said earlier. Being a winemaker was tremendously helpful in understanding sake making. And you have a raw material that you ferment and you're trying to make a good beverage out of it in, in both cases. So we have similar um, issues. We have similar questions, um, of course, on different scales, but all of us talk about acidity, all of us talk about uh, yeast uh, survival ratio. I mean, whatever, it's the same idea. Um, 
there similarity and thing you can learn from sake making into winemaking and thing you can learn from winemaking into sake making. Um, a few things were for me uh, shocking in terms of how similar they were. Um, as Gunnarsson explained on your podcast, um, they age sake in Ishobin, so in magnums, and they they blend it to make a commercial product. And I told Gunnarsson this is a little like champagne, but more specifically, this is exactly what Boulanger does, which is famous house, and they age their base wine into magnum before blending them again. And amazing result in both in both cases. Um, also, uh, not only on the sparkling, but the fact that you know ginjo making, for an example, the idea is to get something overly aromatic. Um, based on a fermentation uh, in a, a nutrient-deprived environment. I have a friend, a winemaker, just a few kilometers away that does exactly that with the wine. A filter is must uh, to have a low nutrients must, and then it ferments at very low temperature and make a very fragrant wine. So there are similarities, and especially if you if you want to learn from one to another, if you want to um, try and do something with that. It's interesting. Then in terms of tasting, um, it's an open world. You know, people who drink sake also drink wine. People who drink wine sometimes also drink sake. Uh, and the, the consumer uh, are basically the same. The, the tendencies, the, the question everyone has in the world is the same, you know, uh, durability, um, so in the in the wine world, we we see a lot of um, thing about natural wine, organic um, grapes, and this is a trend. I think in Japan it's a little bit different because the organic is not exactly the same as we have in Europe. But you have a lot of people in Japan now uh, tasting natural wine, and and you see trends in. Japanese sake that go in the same direction. Um, you have also people that are influenced by wine and they, they want to talk about uh, the origin of the, of the rice. They want to, uh, I've seen, uh, it was a few years ago, but I've seen a, a Japanese sake that had on its label, premier uh, grand cru classé A, you know, exactly the term you have on, uh, first growth of Bordeaux. So there is there are similarities because we are all the same people and we live in the same world. And I think we can uh, we can learn a lot from each other in that regard. I mean, I, I was um, interested. I mean, I mean, sorry, I, I got interested in the acquisition of a Burgundy domain. Um, by uh, Banjo Joso <laughs> and uh, Kuheji-san. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if, you, if you've been in touch with the Kuheji team in, uh, in, in Burgundy, but I mean, uh, when um, Kuheji-san introduced his, his project uh, a few months ago in Tokyo at a particular event, uh, I was really um, impressed by some of the words he used, like he wants to get the 
DNA of winemaking into his, um, his sake brewing in, back in Japan in a few years. I thought that was quite a, quite a strong and interesting statement. Have you, have you met the team over there? No, um, I know where they are. I know the estate. I've seen the wine, but I, I'm, I never met them. Um, in, in, in this kind of thing, you have all, all the, the different kind of people. You know, you have people who want to protect sake from the wine influence. Uh, and you have uh, some people who want to transform sake making into uh, with the wine influence. Um, I think we need a little bit of both. Um, I think sake shouldn't lose its soul. Uh, sake has evolved tremendously with, you know, the different style and influence of uh, the, the arrival of Ginjo, the Ginjo boom. Um, and now there is, there is influence of wine. Um, it's important not to lose yourself, I think. Um, bringing concepts uh, and focusing more on rice, I think that's very, very important. I don't think the Japanese need wine with that, I think they maybe they needed wine to um, realize they lose a little of something uh, by losing the connection to 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 rice. In some cases, not always, but but this this is all you know the question of history. You know, if you if you you can't grow your rice, uh, you're you're losing a connection there. Even if you are very good contractors, even if you have a close relationship, but if you just need to buy your rice through GA or, you know, a big co-op um, and you, you're not obliged to, to care about it, that's, uh, it can be damaging. So I think um, wine can be, I mean, wake up call is too strong of a word, but can, can remind uh, sake makers that there are other things and you can do things differently, but I don't want um, the sake maker to try and, and make wine or to uh, transform the taste of sake to appeal to wine consumer. This is this is not what I'm hoping for the sake world. Sure. And, and, and I'm not implying at all that that was what Kuiji Sound is trying to do. No, uh, no, no. I, I understand that. But you can not especially, you know, I'm not him especially or anyone. Uh, but you, you, you see in in the wine business, I mean, any trends like natural wine, uh, some people go too far. And uh, especially in, in a second world where uh, a few people can face difficulties, um, you know, it's, it's been a tough market. Uh, you can hope to find a new, a new beginning by doing something completely different. And I'm more in, interested into uh, things that go back to the roots and go back to traditional ways of making, um, care more about the rice, care more about uh, bacteria and yeast, um, find, find the taste of, of what you're doing. Um, I know you, are, uh, you want to question me about terroir uh, and that's, that's part of it. So, terroir. <laughs> Since, since the world is uh, the big world is now uh, on on stage, um, yeah. You know, 
would I'd like to hear from you what your terroir is and what your definition of of, of terroir is. Might be two different things. I mean, there is the terroir of uh, of uh, domaine uh, Guillaume Michel, and and there is maybe a more generic definition of uh, of terroir um, for French for for winemakers. Um, what is it, or what are they? Um. Terroir is always uh, a, a big word, and uh, the same, you know, uh, a few years ago, the big word in in the wine world was mineralogy, and mm -hmm. uh, it's it's always people say this doesn't exist, and so on, so on. Terroir exists; it's not a question, you know. It's it's just a question of how much importance you put on it, how much focus you put on it, and what's your exact definition of it. But we all come from somewhere you know we we have an history and that what terroir is you know you have people have history uh rice have history so that makes something different i think the the disparation is the, the annihilation of terroir is something from the 90s you know um people coming from nowhere going into big cities um, um drinking the same wine made anywhere you know um people trying to make Burgundy or Bordeaux or Champagne in any part of the world and trying to, yeah, just recreate the same thing. And, you know, Sake was not exempt of that. Um, so terroir exists. The question is, uh, what really is terroir when you are in a given terroir? If it has disappeared or if it still exists and what you can do to reveal it. Um, I think first local techniques for sake making, especially because uh, sake is so much about how you transform your rice. Um, so the technique is something very important. And that's something that was a little lost when the technique democratized itself. You know, if everybody knows how to make something that is considered the best sake, then you lose this element of terroir. Um, then the rice, obviously, and that's again a question. Um, Yamada Nishiki from Yogo is great. And I'm, I hope uh, and I wish to any uh, sake maker to try their hand on, on uh, Yamada Nishiki from Yogo at some point. Um, but also, local rice that's always interesting i mean rice is grown anywhere in japan so there is something interesting anywhere in japan about rice it doesn't mean you're going to make the greatest sake out there but you're going to make a sake that talks of the place where the rice has been grown and the technique of the region and that will always be something interesting to drink um we can we can uh, develop into more precise things, but uh, interestingly enough, the, the first the first thing that you mention is is technique um, or or skills process. I mean, processing skills for the for for the rice to transform the rice into um, into sake into alcohol. Is that something that would come up in your definition of of terroir for 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 your wine? Yes, yes. Um, a very simple thing in Burgundy is uh, de-steaming. 
you know, for the red wine. Do you distem or not? Do you keep the, the, the bunches intact? Beaujolais terroir is keeping the grapes intact and that give you a specific kind of fermentation, carbonic fermentation. If you uh, just use the, the berries, then you have a different kind of fermentation, change the taste completely. And this is traditional technique from one region and it defines the style of this region. Um, I often say to my students, if you take some grapes, put them in a pot, and you come back after a month, you have wine. Arguably terrible wine, probably vinegar, whatever, you have wine. If you do the same thing with rice, one month later, you have rice, okay? So sake is something made by the hand of human and the technique is a lot of what it is. But if you take two different kinds of rice, you're gonna make a different sake if you, if you respect the rice in a way you, you can you can use techniques that completely transform but the same thing with with uh with wine we have big company in the wine industry that can make the same wine with any kind of grapes um because they want to create a product that is stable always the same for the consumer and year in year out whatever is the change of the of the vintage they need to make the same product that's you know that's that's one way to do it. Um, to me, it's more interesting to try and and express what the grape are giving you. Uh, at our estate, Domingue Michel, uh, for us, it's all about the grape because I, as I told you, we press and then it ferments and we bottle and we have wine. So <laughs> there's not a huge uh, array of thing we can do about it. We just check that everything goes uh, right, maybe controls temperature, but that's all of what we do. Um, and by using the same transformation process year in, year out, we have completely different wine because they come from grapes that have a history, you know, the vintage is different. So the wine is different. We could try and compensate the, the vintage, but that's not what we want to do. To me, uh, this this is a little of a math geek thing, but all those things are vectors. You know, the terroir is a vector. The the, the strain of rice or the the cépage is is a vector. Um, the transformation technique are a vector, and you can make so that all those vectors cancel themselves, or you can help them go in the same direction. And from that, you can make something very different, or you can make uh, every time the same thing. I'm not 100% sure it comes from wine only, but one of the influences of the wine world or the sake world in the recent years has been uh, the introduction of uh, AOCs, which here are called GIs, on sake. Um, if only as a way to better market uh, the sake for certain for certain regions or, or certain certain styles, uh, are you following what's happening in Japan in terms of of GIs? And do you do you have some comments to uh, to offer on this? Yeah, that's that's a tough that's 
touchy subject. That's a touchy subject. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm... <laughs> Isn't it? It is. It, it definitely yeah. deserves a, a, long, a long discussion. That's you know. That's the thing. That's the subject. Probably, I I won't make a lot of friends on that subject. Um, but I'm I'm cool with it. You know, one of one of the thing that is amazing for me in the sake world is I I don't depend on the sake world to have to make a living. So <laughs> I I am completely free. Um, and so I can speak my mind. Um, GIs are good and bad thing at the same time. And we can see that in the wine world. Uh, if you make a GI, um, it's a conservatism force, okay? You set something um, on in the marble and you won't be able to touch it because it's gonna be very political and you, there will always be someone who doesn't want to change the rules. So you set one thing. So you have to be sure that what you set is the right thing. And very often uh, people cannot agree on uh, huge constraints because they want everybody to participate. So it's a little, it's often a little dull um, and when the world change, it's hard to change it also. So in, in France, when the AOC were created, uh, it was a very good way to promote quality. Um, but this was a different world, you know, like uh, people didn't know how to make wine. Um, they were producing a lot of grapes, selling them. Anyway, it was a different world and AOC were a good thing. What we see now, is that the AOC have been taken over by the big producer, by the co-op, the big brands, and they want to keep it that way. And small, high-quality producer, a lot of them go out of the AOC uh, because they want to adapt, they want to make something different. And you have the tastings. I mean, you talk to any, um, any of the best producer in any given AOC, you can be sure that their wine has been refused from the AOC at least once in the past 10 years, sometimes almost every year, because they are outstanding. And that's the definition of outstanding. You know, you stand out. And if you are tasted by your peers and they say you stand out, then you are out of the AOC. So that's something that was scary for me um, in seeing the IGs in, in Japan is that is that gonna be um, something that really promotes a specific style and the quality? Um, or is it going to be a club uh, that actually doesn't bring much, you know, just, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's all a human adventure. So it all depends on the people and what are their goal in, in that. And it can be started out with the best of intention but one, two generation after that, we'll see where it where it go. Um, I I want everyone to have uh, to to have this intention and go into this IG and trying to make something uh, a sake that go, comes from somewhere. This is this is great intention, um, but I trust more in individual Kura to go into the process and do that research. Um, I 
I think the good maker and the people that are really into this uh, intention of making something that comes from somewhere are going to be much further than the IG's uh, requirements. I mean, I, I, a small, I mean, it's, we, we should, we could have, a, a, well, we will have a whole episode, I think, about, uh, about this topic. And uh, it would be great to invite you again for, for that particular purpose, um, because it's, it's a very complex topic to, um, to, to, to look at and, and, and talk about. I mean, uh, what, one thing I, I, would, I would say, which make it maybe a little bit easier for the for the for the for the kura in the sake world is that uh, most kura tend to have a, a large number of, of labels whereas in the in the wine world you have to tend to have a smaller uh, number of labels so in the wine world you have the choice of being AOC or not AOC as a very big consequence on your um, on your on your production whereas I imagine on the Saki world, um, we will see more and more Kuras with bottles that have the GI label on them, uh, which, and it will not prevent them from producing some of these more, um, from of these, some, some different products which would use um, skills or venture to directions that are not uh, consistent with the GI definition. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's a good thing to to promote the region and to try to, um, yeah, in a way, create a style because, you know, they, they're trying to make something that um, it doesn't come from nowhere, that's for sure. But they are setting things and uh, trying to define what is the local style. Um, we just have to be careful for the consumer not to um, overlook other things that could be made in, in the same region that could be um, slightly different, but also uh, speaking of the place, you know, and that's that's what I was trying to say with the, with the, the French AOC, that you have AOC, you have IGs that um, make okay or good wine and you have things that stand out, um, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, those things that stand out can can be amazing example of of the local skill and the local product. Sake on air is about sake, shochu, and awamori, and they're in, they're important uh, for our listeners as well. Uh, you mentioned that. At Domaine Guimau Michel, you were doing a bit of distillation as well. Um, another thing I read about you is that you were a sherry educator. Uh, so, can you tell us a bit more about your relationship with uh, distilled spirits and shochu in particular, Awamori, and what you're trying to do at uh, Domaine Guimau Michel? Um, yeah, so. Anything uh, very geeky in the beverage world, I'm into it. So, <laughs> so yeah, sherry and uh, and shochu and awamori and uh, yeah, all the strange stuff and kusu. This is cool. <laughs> um, about shochu, uh, I I actually never traveled to the south of uh, Japan, so I need that's something I need to uh, to change. 
uh, fast. And I need to go there to discover the culture more. Uh, I did taste um, some shochu in Japan here. I feel there is a lot of place for development in, in the high quality shochu world. Um, there is a shochu boom, but it was, you have a lot of large company that can make, I mean, very good shochu, no question. Um, but I think there is, uh, there is some room for, for small production and trying uh, traditional stuff uh, in, in small scale. Um, here, what we do is we are distilling our traditional um, Burgundy product. So Mar de Bourgogne and Fin de Bourgogne, the, those are two uh, brandies that are made out of grapes. We distill in century-old pots, um, traditionally traditional Burgundy pots, wood fire. We have three hectares of forest here. So we timber the wood ourselves, we split, we dry, and we use our own wood. So talking about terroir, this is 100% local. <laughs> okay. Um, and yeah, Mar and Fin de Bourgogne, this is a traditional thing we do here. We also have fun and play around with other thing. Um, we did uh, make some gin and now I'm having fun with absinthe, uh, which is a, um, a plant distillate, a wild plant from the mountain. Uh, absinthe as a, uh, let's say, um, uh, a dark past. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a little, uh, uh, it used to be legal for a long time. But this is this is a fun product. Mm -hmm. I actually I tried to um, make some kasudori shochu here. Ah, tell us about uh, it. <laughs> but um, I must say I am yet to to find a kasudori shochu to my taste. Um, Kasudori shochu tend to concentrate a lot of the ethyl caprate. I mean, a lot of the ginjoka. And it is super strong in that regard. So, and when you're like me, um, and you you you're not a big fan of that, you prefer more traditional, uh, deeper layered sake. Kasudori uh, shochu is a little tough. Um, and if you pay, pay me a visit next time, you next time you. Uh, I, I'd love to. I'd love to. I'm sure there is some good stuff. I just. Uh, uh, I'm sure this is kind of world where you need to be in and know the good people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's out there. It's definitely oh, yeah. out there. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm Sorry, sure I it's... didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's cool because it's that's exactly what we do with wine. You know, um, uh, Fin is exactly a Casudori. So, um, yeah, I think that that's, that's interesting. And that's uh, something I think is interesting. I know a few... Uh, Sake maker distill themselves, and I I love to to see that they are going uh, to that point, and you know extracting everything they can extract from from their uh, fermented rice. That's that's so cool. Um, personally, I'm more interested into uh, the traditional uh, shochu, so kasudori, um, imo shochu. There can be some nice stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert on the subject. I'm I distill, so I know it's made. I I can taste uh, spirits. I love a lot of spirits. 
but uh, I, I've, I have yet to find uh, my, my favorite shochus. So I need to come and see you, Justin. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll take good care of you next time you're on the island. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm, I'm just uh, real quick. I'm, when you, I'm just curious, you're, you know, you're coming, you know, we've talked a lot with regards to terroir and all these other things. So we sort of touched on this a bit already, but I'm sort of curious, you know, coming from the perspective the the experience of an onologist and agronomist and when you traveled to japan to go and explore the world of sake what were the big questions if or if you remember what were the main questions that you were bringing with you and did you get those answered or did those questions change or how how have your questions um, in relation to sake sort of given your specific background how have those sort of changed or if, if they have at all um so when when i arrived uh, i had so many questions because i was very yeah. naive i mean i had uh, I, i've read a few books before uh john's book uh so i i had the basics in my mind yeah. but i had so many uh questions on you know all all of that comes together you know and um so yeah, it's it's hard to 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 remember uh, those questions yeah. because every, every everything yeah. was a question. Everything, everything was new. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, even the tasting, you know, uh, why and how and uh, um, can can you can you age sake and uh, what's going to happen if you age it and uh, and that's something you need you need you need a lot of time and tasting to to have a feeling about um, when you taste wine. Uh, when you are wine making, we often taste a wine to try and imagine what is going to to change into it. And oh, will this wine be in one week, in in one month, in one year, in ten years? And if you can develop that in uh, in sake, this is this is very very interesting because you start to uh, to have fun with uh, aging your own bottles, and it's something I'm yeah. I'm very fond of. Um, I think the main question I have now uh, in in the um, in the sake world is more related to uh, the agriculture. And um, as you might know, we are here. We're cultivating our own grapes, and we are doing so um, organically, but also biodynamically. Uh, biodynamic is something that is. Uh, now a little more developed in the wine world. It is, I, to my knowledge, um, um, I haven't tried sake that's made with biodynamic rice. It's something I'd be very interested in uh, to try and see how uh, rice could be cultivated biodynamically. Um, there would be adjustment to mix because biodynamics need to be uh, adjusted to weather, to country, to soil. But some of the biodynamic preparation, I think, could be very interesting mm -hmm. in um, in a rice field. Um, so yeah, that I'd, I'd be interested to see that, see that. But it's it's a long-term question as you need yeah. at least three to five years of biodynamic on a plot to actually yeah. um, have some results. Uh, but that that would be that would be amazing. Yeah. Call out out I, there if anyone will try. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think a lot. I think a lot of people are asking themselves that question right now. It's it's as you mentioned. I think a lot of people are starting trying to figure out what does it mean to 
to, to sort of once again get back to trying to figure out how to define where, you know, what it means to make something where they're at. You know, and so you, whether whether biodynamic is the right word, as you mentioned, you know, or organic means something different in your in your corner of the world than it does in Japan. And so, you know, how is Japan going to you know define biodynamic or beyond organic or you know these different yeah, yeah, those, you know have these different have, have these different approaches that you know that are adopted by you know individual producers or small groups of um, farmers or growers you know to, yeah so to, some things is more japanese is uh aigamu method for an example yeah but um there are other i mean uh, a lot of japanese people who are very very good <laughs> in agronomy and agriculture though so in the history of japan even in the crazy world of the uh, organic uh maker in this kind of tendencies there's a lot of people in japan to to consult about that but yeah this is this is a very geeky uh geeky subject but <laughs> but it's yeah but it's a, but it's an it's an important topic i think it's you know as you said i, I like when you were talking about our first student Sebastian first asked you about that the first thing that came that you sort of mentioned was everything comes from a, a place and it has a history right you know and so I think that you know the things that you're talking about with regards to that growing whether it be biodynamics or whatever I mean it it, it, it touches while it's somewhat geeky maybe from um, an agronomist perspective it's also it's also very uni universal at the same time so I think there's you know you're, you're speaking on terms that I think probably relate to a lot of people that people can relate to on a really fundamental level too. So, so we'll we'll see. There's there, hopefully I, that as well. When you come back to the island, hopefully we can we can pay some visits and can see where. As see as soon as this mess is over, over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. So what's what is you know yeah yeah obviously you're you're probably going to be in in that corner of the world for a little while. But what's with regards to the world of Saki, I mean, I know you taste and judge in different competitions and whatnot, but what are what's keeping you in, busy in the world of sake now, and what are you looking at uh, in the near future or in the far future? Are you planning anything with regards to sake? What are you thinking about these days? Um, good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, right now, um, I'm trying to to get. The sake I usually drink in Japan into France for <laughs> personal consumption for France because uh, we have yeah we have uh, many good sake in France but that, that's my <laughs> just my personal stash yeah so that's, that's one thing um, I'm trying to develop more uh, courses for French people about about sake I'm teaching in uh, a few school. Um, business school, agronomy school, trying to uh, get those uh, young head uh, acquainted with uh, the concept of sake. And uh, yeah, I just, for me, now is my main focus, trying to, to teach a little more in France. And uh, I hope I can, I can be part of the global effort to have people in the world discover good Japanese sake. Yeah, absolutely. You, men you mentioned before that you know, maybe, you know, sake, sake has had a tendency to lean into the wine world fairly heavily in the past, you know, for referencing or for informing, you know, possible paths for the future, you know, and maybe not copying, but, you know, learning from or getting some information to inform those things. 
from your experience, is there any, do you see the world of sake informing the wine world or things that you're doing or working on in wine in any way? I actually, I don't think um, winemaker have enough knowledge of the second world to be influenced by it. So that's, I think once people get uh, more familiar with sake and its concept, they might pick something up, but now it's, they don't, they don't know about, they don't have the information. They, there is, they don't have knowledge to steal, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. How about just I, for you personally, from your experience, is there anything that you brought back with you that it, that sort of that you sort of keep in mind, or something that has just sort of informed your your relationship with your work back in France, or anything? I think I taste differently, mm. um, and that might be that might be something that doesn't come directly from the sake world. I mean, not sake world per se, but Japanese world in general. Um, I think the chef in France are more and more focused on umami, um, and they they start to think in terms of uh, food uh, in umami in the food, and that's something we start to see in the wine world. Though people start to to have this term to know about it, so that's that's fairly recent, and I think that this have and will have a large influence in the future. Um, and as for myself. Yeah, I think I taste differently. Um, I used to be a little brainy with my tasting. <laughs> uh, and that's something with sake tasting, I find interesting um, to also just enjoy the product, enjoy the way it makes you feel and actually be more connected with your feelings and less with your brain when you're tasting it. So I think that if there is something I've learned uh, from sake tasting at that, um, and I'm a little desperate to see uh, foreigners, I mean, uh, people from Europe trying to taste sake in a very, very brainy way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, be careful guys, just try and enjoy and, and be connected with your guts when you taste sake. This is important. That's a good message. I like that. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Justin, I know you're you're kind of running out of time on your side. Yeah, I say yeah, I'm gonna have to dip out here in a minute. Um, so I gotta have to catch a train. But I mean, if if you gentlemen want to keep going, you're more you're certainly more than welcome to. But yeah, you know, I also don't want to take too much of your time as well too. So I just wanted to, yeah, say. Thank you for for making time. This was this was a great episode because I had to do very little, and this was a wonderful, insightful conversation. I just got to kind of sit back and enjoy. So, thanks to both of you, gentlemen. That was that was very enjoyable. And Thank I, you, Justin. I would, I would I would love to have you back on the show. We've got there's for I said there's so many topics we have yet to cover, and it would be great to really dig into some of those and get some of your perspective on. on, on yeah, and, and your expertise and your expertise as a scientist as well. Yeah. <laughs> Gauthier, so thank you very much for your time. Justine, thank you very much for your time as well. Yeah, my and, pleasure. Uh, speak to you uh, very soon again. Thank you. Thank you, Sebastian. Thank you, Frank. I hope you can make uh, us sound smart. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Justin.
Yeah, my pleasure, my pleasure. Absolutely. I look forward to talking to you again here soon. And that will do it for this episode of Sake on Air. Please take a moment to review and rate us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be enjoying the show on. And feel free to send us all your questions and comments to questions at sakeonair.com or at sakeonair on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find us over YouTube as well. We'll be back with more Sake on Air in just two weeks. And until then, compile or santé. Sake on Air is made possible with the generous support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association. And it's broadcasted from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center in Tokyo. The show is a co-production between Export Japan and Pots K Productions with editing and sound by Frank Walter.